And I mean, this time it has gone full bore. My vision is blurring. I'm feeling faint. I think I'm going to pass out. My breath starts coming in gasps. My mouth is so dry. My tongue literally sticks to the roof of my mouth as though something had just completely sucked every ounce of moisture. It was like glue. And my, my left arm was just pins and needles. And I felt like, holy shit, this is it. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening to me right now. After everything that I've gone through, I cannot believe that it's going to end like this. Where are the answers I see? Where are the hopes I need? Answer this for me. Help me to believe. Hello again, dragons. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you've heard me say many times before, time is the most precious resource any of us have. And the fact that you choose to spend some of yours with us is humbling, and we never take it for granted. Today is a special day for us here at the Plain Ordinary Dragon Podcast. This is our one-year anniversary. In September of 2019, we launched a podcast around a simple philosophy. We're all amazing beings, and we know this to be true when we stop to listen to each other's stories. We are plain and ordinary in our own eyes and the eyes of others until we listen with empathy and compassion. Then we realize we might be plain and ordinary, but we're amazing creatures. I call us dragons because the most plain and ordinary dragon is still a creature of mythic power. And so are we if we choose to claim the power for our lives and for the lives of others in this world. We've spoken with high school resource students who became six-figure earners in their chosen careers. We've spoken with an Eastern Bloc refugee who's now an Americana music artist. We've chatted with people who've overcome and embraced fear to the betterment of their lives and the lives around them. We've discussed the challenge of dealing with learning disabilities like dyslexia and ADHD and the coping mechanisms allowing us to overcome the challenges they gifted us and lead productive and successful lives. We've heard the humanity of those around the world in stories of people giving to others when they didn't have enough for themselves. We're amazing. And many times we forget how much power we have to meet our challenges head on. We don't realize we can do the seemingly impossible when, in fact, we can. Just thank you so much for coming along with us on this journey of discovery, self-discovery, and empowerment. The one thing I hope you take from this podcast is simply this. You are already more than enough to be the human you want to be, to live the life you want to live, and create the world you want to live in and around you. All you have to do is choose to make it your reality. On to the final installment of the wonderful conversation Eric Schulte and I had not long ago. This is a really important part of the story because we deal with the reality of health challenges in concert with stress over long periods of time. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. You know, you you'd pivoted in security and you'd taken this job in security and you had been there for a little bit of time uh, when management changed on you. Through much of my life, uh, almost all of it, to that point, I've been a fairly gregarious and outgoing guy, you know, the life of the party kind of guy, the class con kind of guy, uh, just a guy that wants to make everybody laugh and, and wants to make the environment kind of fun to be around and be in. And I had 
allowed a lot of that to seep through into my professional uh, face as well, my professional presence. And so I've been working for this accounting firm for several years. And realistically, I had been there a long time. I had been really comfortable with the environment. Uh, I was really deeply knowledgeable about the infrastructure and the many policies and procedures and things that go on there. We reached a point where the management, our manager left, uh, our current security manager left, and the other security manager has to be replaced. So the new security manager came in, and I think one of the, I, I forget who actually was hired first. We we got two people in. We got a new manager. Yeah, and I think he, yeah, we got a new manager, and about eh, about a month after the new manager started, he hired another engineer. So now I'd been there three years, and I'd had a manager for about two months, and I'd been working with this other guy for about three weeks. And at that point, we had just been kind of getting to know each other, and, and they'd come to know me, and I'd come to know them. And I'm sure, looking back, that I was just kind of that same guy, that class clown kind of mentality. But at the same time, I figure, or I assumed, that, hey, if people work with you, they also understand what about you has value. They also understand all these, all these things that are, that are good and solid and productive about you. Uh, a lesson which I, was, which I was to learn in a very hard way a week later when there was a conference that all the managers had to attend. And as was the custom, we had these weekly all-staff meetings. And in that, the managers all stood up and said, okay, I'm going to be in this conference. I'll be out for the week. The guy that you need to talk to on my team, you know, I'm appointing this guy as he'll kind of keep things, the lights on in my team and answer any questions while I'm gone. He's kind of my second in command. So here it is. And when it came time for my manager, my new manager to stand up, this guy had known me for about two months. He says, everybody says, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out of here. I'll, I'll be gone for the week. And while I'm gone, and I could feel the room draw a breath because, and I hadn't really realized at that point, but in that moment, everybody had the exact same thought, which was, oh my God, surely he's not going to leave the security team in Eric's hands. And he knew it and he felt it. And I saw the expression on his face. And I knew immediately what was going to happen. And the next words he uttered are, uh, go ahead and reach out to, you know, the other guy, the guy that had been there for three weeks. Go ahead and reach out to him. He'll answer any questions you have. And he's going to take care of things while I'm gone. I was, to say the least, stunned. I knew in that moment, I knew why it had happened. And I knew what had happened. But it was, it was still an incredible shock to me to realize that, getting back to, again, kind of these stories we tell each other and these stories that we tell ourselves and, and then the stories that we tell other people about us, boy, it's really, really important to understand that of everything that you put out about yourself to other people, they are only going to digest a certain percentage of it. And you have no control over what they take away from all the stories you tell people about you. Real stories or, or, or falsified stories. But I'm just saying that people are not going to just understand 100% of what you tell them about yourself. They're going to remember parts of what you tell them about yourself. And in this particular case, in that whole environment, the parts about me that have been the most memorable stories are these just kind of irreverent, you know, maybe irresponsible looking kind of personality. but Nobody had remembered the other stories about me, which is that I was hardworking, I was diligent, I was productive, I, I knew what was going on. None of that shone through. 
it was just the kind of idiotic face that I had shown to the world. And in that moment, I knew that I had done irreparable damage to myself, not only in a career sense, but maybe also that I was doing damage to myself in a personal sense. That was the very seed of an idea that wouldn't really bloom until several years later. But I think that's where that seed of understanding was planted, where I started to realize that the way that I had been interacting with the world was just in that effortless way where, yeah, it was effortlessly for me to interact with everybody in that environment. But I'd also put absolutely zero effort into what it took to interact with those people in meaningful ways so that they could remember those stories about me. And I was really, I was really shaken. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm done here. Like my career is not going to go any further here. I'm not going to ever advance. I'm not going to ever be taken seriously. And I'm not ever going to have an ounce of credibility with any of my coworkers, peers, or, or managers. And I didn't fault those people at all. I knew that I had done it. I knew that this was my fault, that I was the author of the situation, that I was the, the author of all these stories that people had about me. And so at that point, over the next, over the process of the next few weeks, Barb and I really started talking about what it meant to be where we were, still living in Springfield after 19 years, still having the job that I did, still being in the place that we were, and still doing the things that we were doing. And I think that also started to become, we started shaking around a little bit and becoming a little bit loose in the moorings because after 19 years, you feel like you've kind of learned about everything about a place that you feel like you're going to learn. And, and in a much wider sense, you get to that point where, like I said before, that whole cycle of, is it really fun learning all these things you've never known before? And then you have to put in this effort and the repetitive motions, and then it can be fun again. But when you live someplace for that long time, you start feeling like, you know, I think I've learned everything I really wanted to know about Midwestern middle-aged white people, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> Uh, well, so then you guys decided to make a move, a big move, right? You, you moved to Florida. We did. We, we took a small trip on an anniversary uh, of our wedding, and we went down to Holly Beach, which was a place in where is it, Louisiana, I think. And it was gorgeous, and it was by the beach, and it was, uh, we, spent a, we spent a few days in a little, little FEMA trailer that they had set up, and then they just left them there for... You know, the, the guy that owned the, the trailers just said, well, hell, I've got all these little FEMA, FEMA trailers from the, from the disaster. Uh, what was the... Uh, Katrina? Yeah, from Katrina. So there are all these little FEMA trailers. And this guy's like, hell, I'll just clean them up. And I'll just set them up next to the beach as these little kind of like cabins, uh, cabins on the beach. And I'll just <laughs> rent them out. So we, we spent this week uh, in this little travel trailer in Holly Beach, Louisiana. And we thought it was awesome. A little, a little while later, not too much long, my brother, who was living in Florida at the time, was getting married. And we thought, well, that's really cool. We'll go and see my brother for the wedding and, and do what we did there. And when we visited, we thought, God, this is really awesome. The temperature's great. The climate's great. The scenery's great. We really kind of fell in love with it a little bit. But we thought, well, you know, let's, let's visit one more time and just see if we still feel like you know, once we take the wrapper off, let's see what we feel about it the next time. And we went back again to just vacation. And I think that's when we sort of decided we were standing out on a beach together, just kind of looking out over the ocean. And I remember saying to Barb, man, this is like, I could, this is really nice. Like I could live here. And Barb just sort of musing in her own space said, yeah, I could too. I could see that. 
And I turned to her and I said, really? Like, could you really? And she turned to me with sort of a more serious expression. She says, I don't know. Are we really talking about that right now? Like, are we having that conversation? We might be. And pretty much right there, we're like, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of would. And I'm like, I think I kind of would too. And at that point we went back and we're like, well, shit, you know, in, a, in our, in our late forties, I think we've still got some adventure left in us. You know, let's do this thing. Let's just, let's just kick up our heels. Like we used to when we were kids, let's just do something wild and stupid and crazy and not know what the hell's going to happen next. And we did, we, we pulled up roots. It took me about a year to long distance to find a job in Florida. But uh, after that time, we definitely pulled up our stakes and once again, as I had had to do so long ago for a new start, I had to go out to Florida by myself because we didn't have a house. We didn't have any place to stay. We didn't have any friends this time. So I had to figure it out. And I went out to California or I went out to Florida, rented a place, and I spent a month out there. And while I did, Barb was saddled with the immense responsibility of helping to finish selling the house, getting everything packed up, getting the moving company, getting all the stuff together, and then pulling our entire family out there, which at the time still consisted of uh, myself, Barb, our daughter, and her partner, a uh, good guy. And we all basically have been a family unit for several years. And we decided, well, they, they realized that they didn't really have much going on either. And they thought it might be cool to just do something different. So all four of us really just hit the road. And we brought our entire family, we relocated in one fell swoop out to the west coast of Florida. And that's, that's where we are now. We've been here about three years. So how uh, there's, you know, I, I want to be cognizant of, of our time here, but there, there is a, a particular story in regards to the challenges of stress and so forth that I'd like for us to go through. I, I think that starts with, uh, with a little bit of a, of, of a jaunt uh, between you and, and Barb taking a bit of a trip and then uh, some interesting aftermath. Yeah, you know, they say that the biggest stressors in life, uh, well, they, I don't know who they are, but I've, I've heard say that some of the biggest stressors as humans that we undergo are things like, what are the top three, like buying the death a of home. a friend or family, yeah. buying, yeah, buying a home, uh, changing jobs, and I mean, we went through all of those in the space of about two months. Mm -hmm. It was a lot to deal with. Now, generally, I'm a very even keel kind of person. I've always said that the only way out is through every situation I've ever come up against. I just, you know, like, like, a, like a bull in a china shop. I just put down my head and just, I just push through it. And I really have felt like that's always been the way that I dealt with stress. And for, the, for me, that provided a coping mechanism. And that had gone really well for me. Uh, up to a point, we were heading out to the east coast of Florida to see my brother after a fairly tumultuous period in our lives of all this stuff. We got into an accident, uh, an auto accident. It really wasn't our fault. We actually were stopped at stop sign waiting to turn onto the highway and go. And somebody who was kind of a young, inexperienced driver behind us had basically misjudged the road service, realized she was going too fast, slammed on her brakes, skidded straight into us, and in her crushing the back end of the car, had also shot us forward, catapulted us into a dump truck that was in front of us in the intersection waiting to go, and then crushed the car the other direction. It was a really terrible time. You know, again, it was just one of those situations where I'm like, hey, we just got to get through it. We just got to do what we got to do. Uh, you know, we got another car immediately. 
We went through that. We got back on our feet. We got going. And I thought that's that. But things in life take time sometimes to get to you. And you don't realize a lot of times what's going on behind the scenes or, or under the hood, you know, we're complicated people. And man, if, if it's any person that we really never come to know effectively, it's probably ourselves, not without an enormous amount of work. I'd gone through a lot in life and I had, I'd handled it pretty well, but I think everybody has a limit. And about six months later, I think that's when I hit mine. I was heading to work in Tampa, which is if you've ever driven in Tampa, is just a literal nightmare. It feels like a scene from a movie because you just can't imagine that in real life people act that way, people drive that way, that that things happen the way they do. But Tampa traffic definitely will make a believer out of you if, if you don't have any other experience to base it on. Yeah. Uh, it's stressful enough in itself, but I'd kind of gotten used to it. And so here I am driving, driving down the highway about, 6.30 in the morning because you have to leave super early. you got an hour drive to work either way, uh, hour drive and hour drive home. And I'm about in the middle of my drive, and I just suddenly have this feeling where I feel like my chest is collapsing from deep inside, just like this cold spike of wrongness just pierces straight down through my being down to the, down to the root. Like it just travels all the way through my chest, like this giant wave of, of something. And I think to myself, Oh, that's, Whoa, that's not great. And I, I kind of slow down. I feather break a little bit. I'm kind of like, okay, let's, let's take a breath. Maybe it's just like kind of a dizzy spell. You know, sometimes people just feel lightheaded or dizzy. Maybe I had too much coffee or maybe I wasn't getting enough sleep or something. And I thought, well, all right, this is, this is something. And I, I slowed down a little bit and I kind of got a lane over just in case I felt like I needed to pull over. And I thought, well, let's kind of get through it. And after a little bit, I realized it really wasn't going away. I still had these echoes, of these feelings. And I'm like, okay, now this is getting bad enough that I need to, maybe I just need to pull over, take a breath, calm down. So I pull over, which is also an incredibly dangerous thing to do uh, on a Tampa freeway. And I sit there for a few minutes, catching my breath. I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's okay. It's kind of gone away now. I think we're good. I pull back onto the road and I get going. And less than a minute later, it hits again, harder than ever. And I mean, this time it has gone full bore. My vision is blurring. I'm feeling faint. I think I'm going to pass out. My breath starts coming in gasps. My mouth is so dry. My tongue literally sticks to the roof of my mouth as though something had just completely sucked every ounce of moisture. It was like glue. And my, my left arm was just pins and needles. And I felt like, holy shit, this is it. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening to me right now after everything that I've gone through. I cannot believe that it's going to end like this. So I immediately pull off to the very next exit, which thankfully on the Tampa highway systems, there are exits fairly frequently. I pull off the exit and I end up in the parking lot of some German auto detailing place. And I call Barb and I tell her, man, you've got to come get me. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what's happening, but it, this is really, really bad. And I said, something is really wrong. You've got to come get me. So she, she freaks out. She jumps in the car. She calls my daughter. My daughter and she come pick me up. They take me to the hospital. Hospital asks me what's going on. I'm like, man, I've got chest pains. My, my left arm is going crazy. They immediately refer me into the, the ER. They start working on me. They get me to a, a place where I'm hooked up to all these machines and they're doing all these heart things, these stress tests and taking all these tests. And I spend probably about 
an hour going through this battery of tests. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what's it going to be? Is it, do I have like a bad heart valve? Did I, did I have an aneurysm, a stroke? What the hell happened? And about after an hour of tests, the cardiologist is talking to me and he says, okay, I'm going to I'm going to actually refer you to another colleague of mine who's a specialist in, in what's going on with you. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. So what is it now? I have some kind of weird, like, congenital heart defect or something. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, they got to they gotta bring another guy in to talk to me. I'm just freaking out. And this guy comes in. And I'm like, oh, my God, okay, I got to steal myself for the news. And this guy comes in. And he's fairly congenial. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I said, okay, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling all right. He's like, that's good to hear. He says, how are things, uh, how are things work? And I... You know, I'm a little taken aback by how much the small talk is going to proceed at this point. But I'm like, well, yeah, it's a, work is fine, Doc. Work is fine. So listen, you know, when I was starting to really feel, when I was starting to really feel pass out, I said I couldn't believe. He said, no, no. He kind of stopped me. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. He said, I was, uh, how are things at home? I said, well, Doc, things are, think, look, things are at home are fine. Things at work are fine. Things at home are fine. So listen, what does it mean? Do you really, do you, do you feel like maybe I've got some sort of defect? Is it like a general thing? He's like, well, let's just, you know, let's just, just hang on before we get there. And I'm like, why in the hell are we talking about this? I'm like, are, I said, when, when are we going to talk about the, you know, the, the cardiology? The, aren't you a specialist for, aren't you a heart specialist? He says, oh, no, no. He says, I'm a psychologist. I'm like, what? You're a what? I I don't understand. I, I don't understand where this has gone. How how did this why are you talking to me? He says, Well, he says, I'm gonna tell you something. He says, We put you through our long tests. We put you through a lot of tests. And he says, the result of those tests is why I'm here. He says, You may be surprised to know we get a lot of patients in on a daily basis who have the same symptoms you do complaining of the same things. And they're absolutely convinced that there is a cardiac issue. I said, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It had all the classic symptoms. He's like it. And it does. He says, however, in your particular case, when we run you through the tests and we find the results that we do, we understand that you belong in about the 85th percentile of all of our cardiac cases which are not actual heart attacks, but which are something called a panic attack. I said, no, 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 no. I said, Doc, I, look, I appreciate where you're going with this. And I, I look, I, I, I respect your, your acumen and your experience, but this was not a panic attack. I think I would know if it were something like a panic attack. I'm talking about these were real physical systems. This wasn't just I was imagining this. Like I was literally passing out. Like I was literally, I couldn't breathe. My, my left arm was tingling. Like I know what this, he says, I hear you. I hear you. He says, I know. And everybody else that we see says exactly the same thing. But I'm here to tell you that nobody ever died from a panic attack. And what you had was a panic attack. And I'm still not buying this. I'm like, I, I got. can we talk to somebody else? Like, can we get the heart guy back in there? He says, well, here's what they're going to tell you. They gave you every test, enzyme test, stress test that they could at this hospital. And the results all came back showing that your cardiovascular system is in absolute perfect health. There is nothing wrong with your heart. There's nothing wrong with your lungs. There's nothing wrong with any part of you that delivers your body's vital functions. He said, the only thing that is left is that there's something outside of physical symptoms that's causing your distress. And he finally got it through my head. And I still wasn't completely convinced because why would this happen to me? Why out of the blue for no reason, there was nothing that was involved. I wasn't, you know, nothing was happening at that particular moment in time. It was just a day at work. It was just a Tuesday morning and I was just driving into work for no reason. 
why would this just randomly happen to me out of the blue like this? But we got through it, and he sent me home with some, with some uh, a few bottles of pills. I think something for blood pressure, just in case, and some aspirin uh, on a blood thinner, lisinopril, I think, and and an anti-anxiety medication, I think. And he said, "Listen, I want you to go home. I want you to take these, and you know, see how you feel. And if you have any further problems, you know, you can always call us. But but there's what it is. And so that was the first step on my journey." through real anxiety and through what later was diagnosed as uh, panic syndrome, uh, chronic panic. And so I have to, uh, I have a panic disorder now that, or maybe have had for a long time, I have no idea. And working through that has been another big first for me. It's been about, I think a year and a half now, and it has been a whole nother presence in my life uh, something that just keeps me company 24/7 that I was never that was never there, and now I have to allow for this presence and account for it in life, and that's been that's been a challenge. You know, if you're, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a hard road. The stress over time takes a toll. There is a reason we just don't usually see that reason. You know, if we were to deconstruct some of the challenges that you've been through. Um, Throughout the years, you and, and Barb, you had a classic narcissist come into your life and wreak havoc. Um, you've had a number of challenges in regards to uh, different renters and, and experiences uh, yeah. with, with people that, that you've brought into your life that haven't ended as well as, say, the time that, you know, I spent with you, you know, that kind of thing. Like, um, there's, you've had a lot of challenges, uh, you know, we there's, did. there's. You know, none, none of which that, you know, I really think are important to go into right now. But I think it is important to realize that a lot of times, especially with your methodology of the way out is through, going through is hard. It takes a toll, whether or not we realize it at the moment. That builds up over time over years. And, it, you know, it, it definitely has for me. I think that that's probably a universal truth. It just a lot of times we don't sit back and take stock of all of the different things that have all of the different environmental pieces that have taken a toll or had an effect in regards to some things along these lines. And so I think it's important if anybody's listening to this to realize that it's probably not all of a sudden that this is happening or has happened to you, that there are avenues of treatment um, and not all of them are necessarily medical. Some of them can be a meditation piece or a spiritual piece or other. There are ways of dealing with with it. Um, but, but realize that, you know, it's important to get help if you're in those situations. Um, you know, just like what you were talking about, you were in the middle of traffic, <laughs> you know, you, that could have been a very dangerous moment for you. And so I think basically what I'm trying to say is, is that self-care and self-love and self-help are important in, in everybody uses the the scenario, but it's because it's true. If you're in a plane and the masks drop, you have to, you have to take care of yourself first, because if you black out, you can't help anybody else. And there is a masculinity piece that has gone through society for maybe history, um, that tells us uh, this story, again, stories we tell ourselves, stories we believe, that 
you know, as a man, as a, as a masculine individual, as a, uh, as a strong person, maybe not even necessarily basing it on gender lines, but as a strong person, you know, if you succumb to this, then you're not strong. And that's not really the case. The case really is, is that the things that we have to go through make us stronger. When we deal with those different things, it's hard, but it shows strength. Uh, you know, people tell me, I've been told many times, you know, well, you know, crying isn't a sign of strength. I think it is. I think showing emotion and vulnerability is a, the strongest thing that you can possibly do. And so I, I wanted to say thank you for sharing that because a lot of people don't want to share those types of pieces about themselves. Um, you guys are still in Florida and you're, yeah. you know, you're still working there and, and so forth. Uh, is there any I mean, your career seems to be going pretty well at this point. You've, you've been able to make this, this pivot and transition to, you know, uh, at midlife, uh, and so forth. Uh, you're starting to delve a little bit more into, uh, your self-awareness and so forth, which has been exciting for us to listen to for this whole, this whole thing. Uh, is there, before we kind of wrap this particular session up and this podcast up, is there anything that you would like to say to whoever is listening out there in regards to the things that you've learned, uh, you know, along your journey, uh, you know, just any, any parting thoughts, if you will, that, that you're interested in sharing? There are a couple probably. Uh, one is specifically to anxiety. I'd like to say that although it necessarily wasn't the end all be all one of the real helpful things that I encountered on the road coming through anxiety was the dare method by Barry McDonough, Irish gentleman. Um, that's dare as in like, I dare you to do something, but he's got a book called dare the new way to end anxiety and stop panic attacks that I found was a really good starting place for me. And so if anybody actually is suffering from that uh, in the same way, I think that's a really good place to, to start. And granted, everybody's path is going to be unique and you'll find out what goes, you know, you'll, you'll make your own way from there. But boy, if you, if you just feel like you're in it and you've got nowhere, nowhere to turn, that's a, that's a pretty good place to start and uh, gain some good landmarks to orient you. Secondly, in a personal note, uh, you know, I really can only speak to the experiences that I have. And, and interestingly enough, <laughs> I, I feel like it's very difficult for me to come up with something that I would say to anybody else when I feel like I know so little about what it is I do. And, and it's one of those situations where you feel like the more you know, the less you know. And that's maybe where real wisdom lies. But I think if I was trying to... The, the things that I tell myself, I think, are pretty much what end up being the things that I tell anybody else because what we what we end up all being at the end of the day is just reflections of, uh, of something else, whether it's a reflection of what we want to show people or it's a reflection of what people are to us. You know, it's all about the connections we make. And I think for me, the biggest force in my life that I felt has wreaked the most havoc but also has been the most beneficial has just been the concept of, I think of change. Uh, change is a big thing in life. Change is a hard thing to deal with. Change is a hard thing to make happen. And change is also a hard thing to stop from happening. But I think the most success that I've had through anything is understanding that nothing ever will stay the same. Sometimes things will change for the better, and that's okay. And sometimes things will change for the worse, and that's okay too. 
The important thing is to understand that no matter which direction it goes, it always will change. And if you at least know that, then I think that prepares you as well as can be for the steps that come ahead in your journey. Excellent. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed the time. Uh, I really enjoy your friendship. It's uh, very important to me. Uh, And having you here and being able to share uh, some of your journey with with the audience has has been a real highlight for me. So I just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, It's it's been great. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been it's been an exhausting talk, but uh, but like you like you would say yourself, a, a good one. There you go. All Thanks, right. Elliot. Thanks, man. If you are dealing with anxiety and panic, please get help. Help is out there for you. Check out the Dare method that Eric mentioned. The book is Dare: The New Way to End Anxiety and Stop Panic Attacks by Barry McDonough. There will be a link in the show notes. And I want to thank Eric again for being so open with us and sharing such intimate details. You are a plain ordinary dragon, my friend. Some quick housekeeping. Next week, I'll be telling you a story from my life. We're not going to be doing an interview. This story, I hope, will inspire you to choose your path consciously. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, please do. You can do it at HTTPS colon forward slash plain ordinary dragon dot com forward slash subscribe, and you will get the inside scoop on the happenings with Plain Ordinary Dragon. As always, you might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon and we can't wait to hear your voice in this world that so badly needs it. Where are the answers see? Where are the hopes I need? Answer this for me. Help me